0: Hey everyone, and welcome to The Design of Everything, a podcast that uncovers people's creativity from all walks of life. I'm your host, Kyle Berseth, and this is episode number 28. guest this week is Courtney Nichols, who is an event planner and producer in Los Angeles. I was introduced to Courtney through a mutual friend who told me that she hosts a recurring dinner party called Disco Dining Club. It's a disco-themed supper club, essentially. I found this intriguing because recently I've been producing a weekly stand-up show in L.A., called golden hour and the anxiety that it creates on a weekly basis makes me want to cry and it made me think who in their right mind would gravitate towards event planning as a career so i met with courtney at her mid-century modern home in west la and she's exactly the type of person that you would expect to be throwing an outrageous dinner party She's warm, she's funny, engaging, and has the type of voice that sounds like it was carved from shots of whiskey at four in the morning, and she has the attitude to go with it. So this is my conversation with Courtney Nichols about the design of a party.
1: Nichols I'm a event producer and party programmer
0: and how did you get into that you mentioned you went to undergrad grad school I haven't heard of the party programmer that's major. a term that I made up oh okay uh, because I'm
1: not quite sure uh, what category what I do falls under especially mm-hmm. since the term host or producer has a lot of other connotations yeah so party programmer is the specialized term I came up yeah. with. yeah okay uh, yeah, I went to college in New York to the new school. I studied arts and context, and then I did pursue higher education with grad school, which I did drop out of. But mm. that one <laughs> year, I focused on atypical curations, so not white wall gallery curations. More like if you work to curate a magazine oh. or curate a festival, which it's funny how that then bled into years later, me sort of curating parties.
0: Yeah, but that seems like a natural fit. Exactly.
1: I I did have an issue with the school because they weren't into that atypical curation. That's actually one of the reasons why I eventually left and moved here to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I then pursued mostly music industry type career job placements for about the first three years here in L.A. I was the uh, what was I at the time the VP of new music and culture for a company called
0: Mox TV. Okay, that sounds like a made-up position. It does sound like a made-up position. (laughs) I'm seeing a trend here. I know, it wasn't.
1: uh, Exactly, I'm big into the made-up position. Do I even really exist? Uh, At the time, I was really into in-studio sessions, uh, Mm -hmm. again, curation of festivals. So I helped this company, which was an online television network for electronic music, on content curation of overseas artists. Uh, At the time, it didn't, have as much attraction to it as it does now. It was not quite the height of the EDM market. So I was right yeah, before okay. that. Uh, I spent a lot of my time in Europe during those years. Ah. Uh, it was really lovely. Um, yeah. yeah, I was got very much immersed in that underground culture, which is something that I desperately craved my entire life. And I left that and had a moment in law school after that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> also dropped out of that. So there, there is also a trend of me dropping out of higher education. Uh and then but part of
0: you wants it.
1: Yes, exactly. I've always romanticized academia. Mm-hmm. Uh but then when it comes to me in that world, I I buckle under pressure. It's uh <laughs> and that's why I went to the new school in New York City for my undergrad. There were no tests. The classes weren't larger than 12 people. Mm-hmm. So why I thought I could then transition to a law school where it's only about the tests and 1200 people, I Beyond me. Uh, But then during my law school moment, I created Disco Dining Club. And that led me to where I am today.
0: During the law school moment of while you were still in law school? Yes,
1: I did a couple of Disco Dining Clubs right before I entered law school. Uh, They weren't in they were more of a extracurricular activity, if Mm -hmm. you will. It was nothing that I thought would actually be a career. And then for the six months I was in law school, uh, we reached our one year anniversary of Disco Dying Club, which is when things really started to grow in an exponential way. And that's our one year anniversary is when Bravo decided to film us. And that's when it really became something that I looked at the papers, and I was like, well, this it, this could be really a full-time career.
0: Yeah, once you're getting that Bravo money, I mean. Exactly.
1: <laughs> it, was, it was interesting, though, because I was able to parlay contract reading from going on Bravo at the same time as being in law school, so it was almost like homework. Right. And I don't think I would have necessarily had that attraction to redlining an entire boilerplate form if I hadn't been in law school <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I would have been okay with whatever they sent me and that was sort of the Kardashian style contract of you sign away all your rights you're allowed to be humiliated on screen you're allowed, <laughs> you're allowed to use any content of you in any way so now I was able to go in there and completely change my contract is yeah. amazing so, so that's maybe the one good thing from law school
0: Okay, yeah, that that sounds like a great thing. Yeah, exactly. Especially for an entrepreneur. Exactly. So for the listeners, can you explain the Disco Dining Club?
1: Sure. Disco Dining Club, our goal is to take the formality out of the dinner table and to bring the warehouse scene to the dinner table. Uh, The concept derives from the debauchery and lavishness of disco. And for the first year, each dinner party was themed after a different subgenre within disco, whether that be cosmic bathhouse edition, Italo. And for the second year, we... What,
0: sorry, what are some of those uh, subgenres? genres
1: it, Well, Italo disco is the most prominent one because disco in its uh, most classic form... Pretty much went dead in the late seventies, seventy-nine yeah. in the U.S. They were burning the albums. They were burning the <laughs> albums exactly, and so Italy took up where of U.S. Course. left off. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, it, it's a bit more electronic in nature. Uh, mm-hmm. It has more of the sound of what you would think of a traditional uh, techno beats almost. Okay. But the imagery and the graphics with the tallow Disco is all neon, all like Patrick Nagel-inspired record albums. It's incredible, incredibly aesthetic stuff. And so we did one of the dinner parties based on that. Uh, another one based on Cosmic, which is actually a subgenre within the subgenre of tallow Disco. <laughs> There's actually not that many subgenres that you can parlay into a theme. Right. Uh, and then Bathhouse... Not necessarily a musical show genre, but where a lot of disco roots came from—the mm-hmm. bathhouses in New York, specifically the Continental Club. Okay. So, and then also during that time period, we went to Berlin and we did a disco dining club. Which oh, I'm like, at Berlin. Yeah, is yeah it is was really. <laughs> I was. I, it was a last minute decision. I was there for two weeks and managed to find a venue, a chef, a mixologist, liquor sponsors. Oh, my goodness. Guests, even. I was a really manic two weeks.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. What kind of personality (laughs) is required for a hostess Uh, or a party planner? Sorry, what was the official title? Party programmer? Party programmer. This is literally a term I created within the past week, week and (laughs) a
1: half. Uh, uh, There you have to balance the two worlds. Mm -hmm. You have to be in that party mode, but you also have to be in the business mode or else nothing gets done. Yeah. Uh, Berlin was interesting though, because I knew on the flight over that no sleep was required for me to get all the work done. Okay. Because I was going to be working all through connections that I made while there. So, and that's exactly what happened. I would go to a house party and meet somebody with a venue. I'd meet that venue. They would know somebody with an alcohol sponsor. And it just continued this web.
0: Week one. Week one. You're landing. You're like, I got to go to a house party. Uh,
1: And uh, uh, the other bizarre caveat is that Disco Dine Club always includes unlimited oysters. And that is a more or less easy thing to acquire here in Los Angeles, New York, SF. Mm-hmm. Unlimited oysters in Berlin in a landlocked city <laughs> that doesn't necessarily have a foodie culture yet was really difficult yeah. to obtain However, I just happened upon a night market there and there was a guy selling oysters. He happened to be from Amsterdam. And during the Disco Nightclub event, he drove out his truck from the Netherlands, slept in his car overnight, and then shucked oysters for everybody who attended.
0: Wow. Yes. Slept in his car overnight slept for in the in oysters. His car and
1: put up these giant Netherlands flags. It was epic. <laughs> epic. Hey, yeah, we probably went through, I would say, about. 250
0: oysters that I eat yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i can't eat eat oysters <laughs> there was
1: actually one of the djs who attended that event his name is the mole one of my favorite uh favorite djs who doesn't really have an identity he doesn't like to reveal his mm-hmm. face uh, but he came to this event he was eating oysters an excessive amount and then all of a sudden he went to the back alleyway come to find out he had a bad oyster which happens it's not necessarily the shucker's fault he went to the back alleyway. I
0: love eat. that. The yeah, shuckers. Fall. <laughs> he
1: went to the back alleyway, vomited up the oyster, came back and continued to eat. And I was continued to eat oysters. oysters <laughs> which to me, that was. Fool me
0: once. Totally,
1: it was the most decadent moment, but really what I wanted from a DDC experience, which is just the fuck all. Like, right. The consume everything, which is our tagline. Mm-hmm.
0: And why do you want that?
1: I want that because it creates a sense of freedom, uh, a lack of political correctness, especially in terms of what it means to party. Uh, Mm -hmm. The consume everything tagline came to me because actually one of my close friends who's a drag queen helped me create it because she she mentioned that I always say the word consume. That's not necessarily a word that you use commonly. Mm -hmm. And I realized it has not to do with only food or drink or whatever vices you want to, you want to think it's connotated with but it's more about consuming all of culture okay uh i am constantly at a play an opera a new restaurant a cheap restaurant a picnic like it's this constant reveling in all that that city has to offer
0: and do you see you seek that out or do you find that 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 it just comes to you at this point
1: both okay the more highbrow stuff i would say like opera is plays that I seek out yeah but the underground culture just comes to me but that also requires uh, a lot of adrenaline and energy um, yeah and you have to know how to take care of yourself in that sort of situation uh you can't Water. have all all- <laughs> all- all-nighters all I-, I oftentimes wake up at 6 a.m which is really strange and mind-boggling for people to wrap their head around because they think that I'm just getting home at 6 a.m uh-huh. but it's about that balance
0: yeah well it sounds like you are the rare person that's creative <laughs> but also organized.
1: Yes, I uh, very anally retentively organized. That's why <laughs> I thought I could thrive in law school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was delusional.
0: That <laughs> well, it helped. And what's yeah. the what's the fascination with disco?
1: I have always been obsessed with disco. To me, it was the the penultimate moment of decadence, uh, and also of dancing, of flourishing in your environment, and also freedom of dance floor. I grew up in a a rather strict environment. I went to an all-girls Catholic school for 14 years mm-hmm. and I'm Jewish. And so I always had this <laughs> edge where I was like, well, this is not what I want or am. Yeah. And disco was always my outlet of thinking of a time where you saw more minorities on the dance floor, different sexualities, things that you just don't get when you're at an all-girls Catholic school.
0: Yeah, don't get it at all.
1: Exactly, and in Monterey, which has a even though it's California coast, it still has a small town environment. Mm-hmm. And disco then just followed me. I, I didn't realize I could make it into a career, obviously, or that it could be such a part of my identity. It was just that I was a lover of it and then i thankfully found a community here in los angeles that had that equal obsession
0: yeah with la is probably the place for it it is it's <laughs> la and new york
1: exactly and it's also interesting because new york was always the disco hub in the 70s and I'm not, sh- and it's interesting because LA has become the disco hub now. If there was an evolution of disco, it would be more city-based, I suppose. Yeah. You. Yeah, get- you're
0: not getting that in the Midwest.
1: You're not <laughs> getting that in the Midwest. And in New York, you don't necessarily have the option of warehouse parties anymore, and that's where disco is really thriving here mm-hmm. is at the undergrounds. Uh, there's an extraordinary amount of space here still in LA, and unfortunately, a lot of the warehouse parties thrive because of Skid Row right next door. Uh, you know, Pops have to maintain the peace in Skid Row, so booming bass from Disco Party isn't necessarily getting broken down in the same way.
0: Uh, Okay.
1: Uh, But there is definitely this environment here of people who like to get very dolled up and go to a more or less gritty warehouse party, which Mm -hmm. is really unique. You don't oftentimes... With those dilapidated warehouse where you see people in glitter and sparkle. And you see that here in L.A.
0: Yeah. Well, do you think that's part of the Hollywood culture that people you get a certain group of people, actors and actresses or performers in general yeah. that love getting dressed up and love acting like. Bigger than who they are. Totally.
1: Yeah, not. I don't actually, which is going to sound very atypical, but I don't know a lot of actors here mm-hmm. in LA. Yeah. I've actually probably only been to one Hollywood Hills party in my entire time here, so seven years. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of stylists. That's yeah. what I'm really immersed in, and also a lot of drag queens. Uh, <laughs> a lot of yeah. drag queens. A lot of my social circle is made up of drag queens. But yeah, they have access to an incredible amount of vintage clothes. Uh, more space to store the clothes obviously than a new york Mm -hmm. stylist but that and that is really their time to showcase their abilities yeah
0: and other than your catholic school upbringing how'd you get into disco
1: (laughs) my parents have an extraordinary taste in music Uh, okay uh, my mother used to sneak out of this bedroom here actually because this is where my mother was raised uh, and Uh, go to 135th and Broadway to go to Otis Redding shows back in the day. So my mother, my mother was very hip.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: One of my pieces of my dowry is the original Columbia recordings of Miles Davis and mint condition. So I always knew that style of music. (laughs) And disco was just glad you got a dowry. I know, right? One should always have a dowry. Every Jew should have a dowry.
0: Uh, I got a Netflix password. (laughs) (laughs) That was my dowry. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Amazing. And yeah, disco is just something that stuck. And uh, now I'm even branded with the word disco. I have a giant word disco tattooed on my upper thigh, Mm -hmm. uh, which is the same font type as my favorite go-to book about disco, which is called Disco. Can I say disco anymore? That makes sense. (laughs) Uh, By Albert Goldman. And it was written, I believe, in 1977, which is an interesting time for somebody to write about disco because it's not from a historical perspective. It's more about his response to disco while it's happening. Mm. And so a lot of the book is him comparing it to Roman culture or the Greek gods and that to relate it back to disco dining club, that's the book that I've used for the second year of DDC because we've extended beyond the shub- sub-genre themes. And now we do historical themes for Disco Dining Club with the idea that all these moments throughout history led to the penultimate decadence, which is disco. <laughs> which is disco.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, it kind of makes sense. I mean, the Romans had bathhouses. Exactly. And I'm sure there's more to it than that, but that's all I know. <laughs> exactly. No, it,
1: there, y- you, there were times when people wanted to party Mm -hmm. (laughs) obviously wasn't in the modern way but they there was that sense of debauchery and glitter and glamour
0: yeah so how do you get started with something like this (laughs) because so i've run comedy shows Mm -hmm. and it's most of the time they're free shows so i invite my friends to start with and then show number two the friend's Slowly die off, and you hope to get more random people. <laughs> totally. Same thing with this podcast. It's totally. Like you, you tell your friends and hope that that branches out. So how, how do you get started? Is it the same way?
1: It was a moment of clarity, the mm-hmm. original idea. I was on the dance floor at 5 a.m., and I was craving a steak dinner. And I turned to my friend and I was like, are you craving a steak dinner? He's like, kinda. <laughs> and I was like, well, there has to be a market for this. There has to be this group of people that want to party all night, but also want to have a really quality meal. Mm-hmm. And at a price that yes, expensive doesn't break the bank. And so it still attracts a bohemian culture. Oh, That's okay. where $200 seems to be our sweet spot with mm-hmm. that. Uh, so I put a very humble post online seeing that there was interest and what I expected to be like maybe 20 hits ended up being about 300. So I did a, it wasn't a buyout. I just got a very large table at Cliff's Edge in Silver Lake. And I invited my friends. I got a prefix meal that they set up for us. And Mm -hmm. I just had a friend DJ and, uh, I just expected it to be a really great meal with friends. It was about 40 people invited. Yeah. Tickets sold out within a day and people showed up in full gowns, dancing on the tabletops, having sex in the restroom. <laughs> we made the bar. Could not have I, gone I, better. I know. Not, we made the bar an extra $3,500. or saying ridiculous yeah. uh, in a very short time span. And that's when I realized that this wasn't just a get-together with friends. That What if I brought this into a private space?
0: Mm-hmm. And so did people dress up for that one? Th- yes, they oh, did. Okay. Very dressed up. Is that up. a requirement?
1: It's not one that I require but if people look through past photos they feel like they should to not feel left out. Right. Right. Uh, some of our regulars dress in outfits are just so outrageous that sometimes it takes two people to carry the train of the gown. I mean it's really out really outlandish. Yeah. Uh, very outlandish uh so yeah i took it into a private space the next one at a production house near silver lake and it just started to grow from there and it took about a year to refine the structure the setup how many people i invite who are friends versus the public what it means for press for social media outreach it's it's a science in a lot of ways because nobody else is doing that dinner to party especially in a way that's in a pop-up atmosphere uh yeah, so it took about a year to really get to that
0: mm-hmm. point.
1: And now it's, it's yeah, it's refined. And, well,
0: how you know. did you figure that out? Like how much online presence you need, how many friends to invite, how to make it seem maybe exclusive to a certain extent? So you yeah. get those people that are very enthusiastic about it
1: yes i don't like to be exclusive but i like to be secretive okay Uh, i oh okay yeah if somebody reaches out to me and they are just adamant fans of disco or they just really want to have a lavish dinner i of course invite them Mm -hmm. Uh, but the way that i still have that secretive member-like appeal without having dues or without really alienating anybody is that there is a group of people it's about 250 people each time they get hard copy invites
0: okay oh that's fun yes
1: yeah which is just also a bucket list i am that i always thought would be the perfect party you would still get snail mail
0: yeah
1: uh so they get the invites about a week before i release them via mailing list and mm-hmm. social media okay But I'm never on Facebook. I don't do Facebook invites. I I still want to keep it classy. (laughs) Not not like the
0: dregs of Facebook. (laughs) Uh,
1: But really, the the hard copy invites are. I love it because you go over to people's houses and they have all of them taped to the refrigerator, or Mm they frame them, or they've put them in weird scenarios around their house. It's a really lovely element of that makes it a collector's edition.
0: Yeah. And I assume you're having a graphic designer design them and they are in the uh, they got to live up to the event.
1: Exactly. Our graphic designer is somebody I've worked with, a close friend of mine for a number of years. We try not to outsource any of our labor. Mm -hmm. It's all friends. Yeah. uh, And it's all people that are also in that world of disco. Uh, Okay. We make sure even down to who we source our oysters from the day of the event, we make sure that everybody has a
0: similar mindset. (laughs) what what does that mean what what kind of music do you listen to (laughs) you you go to the fishermen that are
1: (laughs) Uh, i do uh, that's why one of the goals is to take the formality out of the dinner table because unfortunately a lot of the food world is actually quite conservative Mm -hmm. uh, very stoic
0: yeah uh very serious about tasting the food and exactly
1: and so we want to make sure that any chefs that we bring on board, because we do uh, have a new chef each time, mm-hmm. or our now resident mixologist we we went on a hunt for for a while, knows what they're getting into uh, and is willing to, once everything's cleaned up and the meal has ended, is willing to partake in the party atmosphere.
0: Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> it's required. It's required. <laughs> you have to party (laughs) because it's gonna be 5 a.m at some point (laughs) and you're gonna need some steaks uh grilled up (laughs) exactly (laughs) okay so uh getting back to your personality and this event where's the business side come into it have you managed to make the business side of it fun as fun as the event for you or maybe yes. not as fun but i
1: for disco dining club i do have a right-hand man who ha- handles budgetary means and mm-hmm. he is the m- guy who first brought us into a private space because he was head of production at the studio near near silver Lake. excuse me so he handles more of the ddc the boring details that happen the day of yeah uh, handles a lot of the production elements so I can really act as hostess at the event. When it comes to the other events I do, whether it be place setting or the, I did a private party for Airbnb recently, I, I, I really thrive in the business scenario. Okay. Uh, because it, you are establishing your personal brand. I know that's a cliche to say nowadays, but I love the challenge of having a reputation and a mystique that's not built because of how many followers you have on Instagram.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, What a nightmare. It is a
1: nightmare. And uh, and also, that's not necessarily followers that will engage.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: I much rather would be out and have somebody recognize me and that web of contacts that I have that all come from a similar mindset. We're not here just because we're trying to build to (laughs) 10,000K. Right. You know, it it just seems to me to be a bit trite and... And I look for something that's a bit more substantial Mm -hmm. and that will last longer. It's important to actually have a reputation, a real tactile outside the internet reputation. Mm -hmm. Which I just recently, funny story, I recently found my senior thesis from college that I wrote. And it was about taking the intangible online and making it tangible in offline events totally forgot i wrote this yeah totally I, forgot <laughs> totally, college in new york is a blur <laughs> a complete blur and i did it in three years so i don't even how, know how i did that but it's funny how that has then translated to exactly the same sort of mm-hmm. persona that i want to keep intact now with disco Dying club and my other event ventures
0: and how do you curate that reputation
1: i, I think it's about constant involvement with being on the ground at locations, mm-hmm. at events, I I'm very limited online. I, I if I dabble online, it's mostly an early morning thing. But other than that, I like to be with people. Yeah, it's constantly actually having eye to eye contact.
0: Yeah, and I think that's uh, that's a tough thing in LA.
1: Very tough thing. Very tough thing.
0: I've tried to meet <laughs> friends of friends for coffee or a, a beer, just random. You know, a person introduces us, says, "Hey, you might." Get along with this person. You guys are in a similar field. And they're like, Well, I'm not drinking beer for this month, or I'm not, oh, yeah. I'm on this diet. Totally. And I'm like, Well, we can meet for coffee. Well, I'm not drinking coffee. Totally. All right, Jesus.
1: That's such a good point. Oh, I know. That's really funny. But maybe it's because I am never on a diet and I'm never giving up anything. <laughs> Me so I think that maybe just creates a culture that people know what they're getting into. Yeah. And we're going to meet up and we're probably going to drink wine and it's probably going to last about three hours when it was supposed to be a 20 minute meeting. Right. Yeah. Things like that. But it. Cause yeah, that is very much is a true hard and fast LA cliche.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and well, that's just one example, but getting people to just meet at a place yes. to me has been a challenge. Yeah. And I'm just <laughs> thinking, well, I guess we could, we could set up mics and talk. Yeah. <laughs> i was just thinking we could drink something near each other
1: (laughs) totally that's i've had really good luck with that but that's not uh, that maybe it's just a fluke
0: Mm -hmm. yeah Uh,
1: because i've been trying to wrap my head around that as well because i've seen the flakiness of la permeate through everybody's life yeah for whatever reason i seem to have good luck
0: well i think another part of it (laughs) is when I lived in Washington, D.C., because you walk everywhere, yeah. you run into people. Whereas L.A., it takes planning and it takes uh, effort to meet up. A hundred percent.
1: And maybe it's because I'm always the one who just jumps in my car and goes yeah. anywhere. I'm very mobile.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: I, l- I actually happen to love driving culture. but also I do, too. <laughs> you know, mean, I don't my, even have a good car. <laughs> yeah. There's something about the—I love also radio stations in L.A. We have a— glorious selection of like KCRW is incredible I I love making it my second office
0: okay let's get back to (laughs) party planning yes you send out hard copy invitations then you tell other people online or via email or other ways yes (laughs) not Facebook yeah not
1: Facebook (laughs) now
0: I can only speak from my own experience of planning comedy shows that I get a lot of anxiousness about are people gonna show up yes Do you have that?
1: I have avoided that by doing pre-ticketed events. Okay. And an easy way to erase flaky L.A. culture is make people prepay. People in L.A. will never not show up if they've already spent (laughs) 100-plus dollars on a ticket. Yeah. Even in the rain. And God knows nobody goes out in the rain here in L.A. Uh, I used to do events where I just had people show up, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it be... At a hotel or at a club or here in my own backyard, I used to do events. And, yes, the stress for that was insurmountable. Yeah. Uh, Even if you know, even if you've texted all your friends and they are confirmed, there is still that moment of panic.
0: Yeah. Are they going to show up? Are they going to
1: show up? Yes. That is very true. And so pre-ticket events are my way of curbing (laughs) that.
0: (laughs) And then once the event happens, are you just in the moment? And is it kind of like rising to the occasion of... I've got to do this, this, this yes. and this and say hi to everybody and be warm and welcoming and not yes. seem stressed.
1: Yes, I wear all the hats. Uh, however, with a party like Disco Dying Club, which is a very large, very high volume party, we have a staff of about 30 the night of. OK, uh, with something like place setting, which I do with my boyfriend, that is. Just him, me, a sous chef, and one other server. Mm -hmm. It really depends. Uh, But when it comes to what I'm doing the night of, uh, I'd say number one goal, though, is to create conversation amongst the crowd uh, and to facilitate a narrative throughout the evening that continues to bolster people's creative impulse or their conversation skills that's the most difficult part about going to a pop-up dinner Mm -hmm. generally speaking is by the time you become comfortable enough to speak to the strangers around you it's usually near the end of the meal because it's after you've had some wine yeah uh there might be that awkward moment when you first sit down you introduce yourself but we were trying to eradicate that awkward in between like so how'd you do it we do it by i make sure that certain people sit next to each other or i know I, i work as sort of a PR woman in a way where I make sure I know everybody's story so Mm -hmm. if certain people need to connect I make sure that they connect
0: oh Uh, that's exciting we
1: also work with a mixologist who does narrative driven drinks so in between each course she has a story she brings out a vessel of drinks and it creates fog on the table or something of that sort so it can continue to have that playfulness yeah Uh, we have also performers that work throughout the meal Um, some of them actually with scheduled type performances or others are just wandering and uh, for the surrealist (laughs)
0: exactly
1: exactly. for the surrealist edition we had for instance a uh, character in head to toe blue hair who just had a comb and asked people to comb him how did you come up with that
0: (laughs) (laughs) or is that just a person that's in LA that already exists
1: on the Hollywood strip (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, we have a lot of brainstorming sessions uh i come up with the theme and i come up with sort of bucket list ideas that i have not all that can be uh brought to reality but yeah (laughs) yeah exactly exactly and then i bring together my group of uh, disco minions and we we build on what my initial concept was to make it feasible to make it interactive uh to make it not just geared towards my Mm -hmm. (laughs) interests
0: Well, how'd you come up with the person with the blue hair?
1: That was a collaboration between our uh, art director for Surrealist and our costume designer. Okay. And then they passed it through me, uh, and then, of of course, I approved it. I mean, it was (laughs) insanely, outrageously amazing. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would say going from my 20s to my 30s, there have been a lot more dinner parties in my 30s. Yes. Which, as someone that does not like showing up to big events where I only know maybe one or two people, it dinner parties are so much better because it is easy to have personal conversations and feel like more of a part of a community. A hundred percent. And have you noticed that you have regulars then?
1: We do have regulars. Uh, I would say about 40% of each event is regulars. Okay. Uh, I also, there's a smaller group within that, about 10 people that I like to call my bookends. And I make sure that each event, they are free that evening because they Uh, they are the facilitators of conversation. Yeah. No matter where they go. Uh, so even if it's a private event I'm hosting for Airbnb or the debut of place setting which happened about a month ago I make sure that they can attend Mm -hmm. because they really create that environment Uh, but of the 40% that are regulars a lot of them are regulars not only because obviously they have a grand old time at Disco Dying Club but also they made incredible connections while at the event Uh, we had our first Disco Dying Club marriage that happened a couple months ago of two people that met at my event wow that's gotta feel good it was so (laughs) great I actually met my boyfriend because of disco dining club
0: oh okay So i
1: kind of turned it into my brothel i guess but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh but it, people have been signed to modeling agencies people have alcohol sponsors who are r- not well known because i use a lot of micro distilleries mm-hmm. uh, they all of a sudden have representation in ralph's after being at disco dining club i i really there is that other element to DDC that even though we are perceived to be this completely debaucherous time, there is a kind of a networking edge. And yeah. networking in a way that's act very authentic.
0: Well, I think you're drawing a certain type of person, and I'm sure they meet a certain type of person there, and they have similar interests that exactly. brought them to Disco Dining And there's club.
1: places to sit. You're, I know that sounds like a small detail, but as somebody who Ha- goes to an excessive amount of warehouse parties, you meet people in front of blaring speakers. Yeah. And the only place you could potentially go and speak more is outside in a smoking area, which is right. not really conducive.
0: That's, uh, that's poorly thought out. Exactly. Then. Exactly. It's <laughs> places to sit. Exactly. Well, let's, let's talk about place setting then. Yes. Um, can you explain that one?
1: Yes. Uh, as you know, the house that I and my boyfriend currently reside in is a 1947 house that my grandmother was the original owner Uh, unfortunately redone in the early 70s in terms of the aesthetic inside there (laughs) there are great moments or moments of brilliance hence the shag carpet throughout the living room we'll (laughs) never get rid of that Uh, but for a number of years I wanted to do a dinner based on just my grandmother Mm -hmm. uh, because it's very interesting to be to live alone here for seven years Uh, my boyfriend moved in only a few months ago and live in your grandmother's house when nobody else from the family is living there. Uh, My grandmother was an ultra liberal, very hip Twin Peaks watching type grandmother. And I wanted to do something to honor her legacy, but I didn't know how. And when he moved in, he had already been thinking about it, about how do we express this through a dinner party. And then it was just a, a moment of clarity again, where we suddenly realized that that doesn't just have to happen here. Mm -hmm. This could happen at the limitless amount of houses in Los Angeles. Uh, And instead of going in and doing a dinner party that's directly related to the year of the house, instead we're dinner party anthropologists. We ask about the history of the house, who currently resides there, who once resided there, if there's any interesting stories of things that had once happened at that house. Mm -hmm. And so the dinner party doesn't fall into tropes of just doing whatever happened so how do you how do you tie that in well for instance um our last one was in hollywood and on what was once the paramount backlot but it's currently owned by a man of swiss descent Mm -hmm. the house at one time was owned by a winemaker i believe in the 70s so there continued to be grapes throughout the property so for instance how we merged those three elements is we had an opening cocktail called the Baby Jane because whatever happened Baby Jane was filmed right down the street. <laughs> okay. Uh we had a alpine yodeler come in and perform yodeling. To the guests. Of course. Which was really incredible <laughs> because Jerome, the man who currently owns the house, got up and totally out-yodeled the yodeler. It was incredible.
0: <laughs> b- b- Every b- b- Swiss can just yodel. <laughs> totally.
1: Totally. Uh, we had a fondue course. We uh, we have elements of 1920s cuisine, but also we make sure to utilize any appliances that are original to the house. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, they uh, Jerome had a 1930 Roper stove. And that's how we cooked everything. Which is what a roper stove, just an old stove. It's very old stove, but it's funny. Right before the event took place, the stove broke. I mean, of course, that's always (laughs) what what, things—the nature of life. Uh, So we got it fixed the that evening before, and the guy who fixed it said he had not seen a roper stove like this since the 70s. So very old appliances. Mm -hmm. They are a challenge to work with, but that is really where we thrive because Gabriel, my boyfriend, is. His perspective on food is that food should be for entertainment, which is oftentimes okay. lost, uh, especially in contemporary food scene. Oftentimes, chefs use dinner parties or pop-ups or cuisine to preach.
0: Yeah, to educate. To
1: educate, to talk about their agenda, which is lovely. That's just not what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are, at the core, entertainers.
0: And why do you think it's important to use the <laughs> exist the old uh, appliances? and <laughs>
1: Quirky, <laughs> <laughs> kitschy, uh, to showcase how good stuff was made back then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you don't have to have the state-of-the-art appliance to make something that it truly, uh, truly entertains, because that era that most of these appliances were built were in the era of backyard barbecues, mm-hmm. uh o molds inspired dinner parties, yeah, only the finest.
0: Uh, See, I think some people... Could cringe at that. Yes. I'm okay with that.
1: (laughs) I'm totally okay with that. Uh, That's just the nature of the beast. And it's been a really lovely experience because even though this is a new concept, both he and I have such a reputation from before that people know what they're getting into. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, They they already know me and what I do at Disco Dining Club and elsewhere. So coming to a dinner party here, they know they're not going to get molecular gastronomy. Right. (laughs) Uh, And they also know that the booze is going to be free-flowing. And so there's still these elements of... What I do at DDC translated to play setting. Uh, for instance, tomorrow night we're actually returning to this house for our third installment, but instead of doing a dinner party based on my grandmother, we're doing a Japanese inspired meal based on the Sawtell area. Okay, yeah. And the community that once was in this neighborhood. Uh, so at each play setting, we have one or two performers. And we were trying to figure out what kind of performer we wanted for this one. and sumo
0: Wrestling. Oh,
1: uh, That would have been amazing.
0: <laughs>
1: next, one, next one. But to be very much in line with my brand is we have a Japanese drag queen coming in. Okay. And she's doing a series. Her name is Monastat which is also an incredible <laughs> name. Uh, and I've known her for a number of years, and she's doing a series of Japanese-inspired drag queen performances, which uh, people know that that's what they're going to get into at yeah. any of our events. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah.
0: That should be fun, I imagine.
1: Yes, and it, we have an incredible array of houses lined up for the next four months. What
0: are some of the examples?
1: We, the one after this, it's actually in Glendale. We're trying to uh, do a full survey of the n- entire landscape of Los Angeles. That's
0: the cool thing about L.A., there's exactly. so much variety.
1: Exactly, and that house is a, I believe, built in the 20s, recently redone it's amazing because a lot of these houses are redone to be modern but because of permitting uh, they never knock down any of the walls so you still have the bones of the original house Uh, we're going to do an adobe from the turn of the century we're doing a a handful because there's so many up there a handful of mid-century modern houses in Mount Washington Mm -hmm. uh I also eventually, when this grows and we have more reputation, I want to take it out to Palm Springs.
0: Oh yeah, Yeah. some of the mid-century homes out there, or even like
1: Idlewild, do an A-frame inspired. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there. The content here is limitless, and that's what's so exciting.
0: Yeah, and how are you? How do you go about finding places to host these?
1: Uh, As with every concept, the first few are friends. Yeah, and then what has transpired is people who attend. Happen to have a house.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: And also with... I previously worked with Airbnb. I did an experience for them. And so a lot of the super hosts for Airbnb are interested also in extending their, mm-hmm. their place for a dinner party. That's and, cool. Yeah.
0: And that's such... A fun way for you to get to see all this cool architecture. Exactly,
1: exactly. And and the characters who currently live there. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's so incredible. I, I, This is only the tip of the iceberg of the people that we've met through this venture. I, I can't even imagine once we start getting into... Uh, mid century, mid century modern homes in Bel Air—that would be treasure troves, I'm sure. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm just waiting for the day when you, we walk into a house and it's actually a hoarder's house. You yeah, know, because that's going to happen eventually.
0: <laughs> oh, a hoarder themed. Uh, <laughs> no,
1: like theme be A, <laughs> a theme lot of doggy bags <laughs> <Yeah>. handed out. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> okay, so what what would you say is the most important part of a dinner party? For, for people th- throwing parties of their own?
1: From a logistical standpoint, I think that people shouldn't feel like they're nickel and dimed at a dinner party. Mm-hmm. The all-inclusive nature of the events I throw create this environment where people feel free to just act however they want. They know for $200 that it's going to be unlimited booze, unlimited oysters. They won't have to take out their wallet. And I yeah. like to create that environment, uh, an adult Disneyland of sorts on a very small scale. Mm-hmm. Once you're here, you're here. Yeah. And there isn't that urgency to go to the next thing, uh, which I think sometimes, what do you mean by that? I think that, uh, especially people who are in underground world or who like to dabble in food and drink and dance are chasing the party often they'll start somewhere and over the course of that evening depending on how long they're out they end up going to our i sometimes will go to 10 venues in a night
0: oh what a nightmare what a nightmare <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly so what about a place where you know that you're going to be there for well play settings shorter obviously uh four hours with disco Dying club we've had events that have lasted 14 hours
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is insane yeah that but, is insane. Yes, but people know that they they're they're getting their money's worth,
0: which yeah. is part of
1: the entertainment aspect. That's how uh, you, the best house parties you go to are the kind of hosts who make sure that everybody has a shot in hand. It's that sort of mentality. You just want to make sure that you're they you are welcome there. Uh, and then from a hosting standpoint, it it's. Likeability, I guess, and making sure that nobody feels like the odd man out. We get a lot of single diners at place setting. Is that right? Yeah, it's interesting, and I, I found that that's a rarity. I, I, I go to an excessive amount of pop ups. I think it's also important to support everybody in your scene. Mm-hmm. So I'm constantly at these underground supper clubs. I rarely see single diners. It's a, it's a date night sort of situation. Yeah,
0: yeah, of course.
1: But we get a lot of single diners, and I think that's because of the reputation that I've always upheld. And with Disco Dining Club, it's interesting. Here, I mean, at the time, I was a single woman doing this on my own in like a 250-person event. So people yeah. know that they could be that... Solo woman coming, and it would be equally
0: as. There'd be someone else there. There'd be someone else there, and if not, I'm there. Right. <laughs> That's who I meant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> with play setting, with disco dining club, it seems like a certain part of you is drawn to nostalgia. Yes. What, where's that stem from? Or why?
1: Nostalgia, in a sense of kitsch, as opposed to. Uh, thinking that there was a better time. I'm, okay. not, I'm not delusional in that way. I, I don't think, I happen to, I think music has gotten better, for instance. Yeah. I listen to disco, but I think that music has progressed. Uh, definitely food has progressed in the way that we consume food and the way that we cook food. <laughs> I, but I love camp and mm-hmm. I love performative elements of referencing a certain era. I don't want to necessarily go back to that era. <laughs> right. I want to merge the
0: two worlds. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing the uh, podcast. Thank you. This is amazing. Okay, that was Courtney Nichols, and that is the podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. If you want to find out more about Courtney, or maybe you want to go to a disco dining club or place-setting event, you can go to discodiningclub.com, and you can find details about place setting on Facebook. And while I'm plugging great things to do in Los Angeles, I might as well tell you about the comedy show that I'm running every week that gives me great anxiety, Golden Hour, every Sunday in Frogtown at Cafecito Organica Roasting Company. Believe it or not, you can find out more information about Golden Hour on Facebook. While you're there, you might as well go over to the Design of Everything Facebook page, follow the Design of Everything on Instagram, and if you want to email me, have comments about the show, maybe you think there's someone that I should have on as a guest, send me an email, everything at gmail.com. And until next week, treat yourself to a little creativity in your own lives.